Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 279 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday morning, February 7th, 2021, and the hits just keep on coming for this Duke team. The latest is a loss to rival UNC last night. I assume that all of you were watching, unfortunately, because it was a fun game. It was a it was a back and forth affair. It had a lot more scoring than I think any of us expected. But Duke ultimately was not able to capitalize at the end and, and let Carolina keep their sort of arm's length uh, in front of the Blue Devils all night. We are here, unfortunately, to talk about it and to look ahead because maybe there are some positive things to take away from it that Duke can use going forward. They have a quick, somewhat quick turnaround. They're playing Notre Dame early this week, so we will get into that as well. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein, and I'm coming to you, as always, from Boston. I am joined by my partners in crime. I've got Jason Evans down in Atlanta. Jason, good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Um, I mean, we're required to say good morning, even if it's not, right? (laughs) Yeah, I... I think so. I, I think that them's the rules. Donald Wine is here in Washington, D.C. Donald, how are you? are you? Are you good? No, because on top of that, we were supposed to, as you guys know, we were going to record a little later because I had a friend in town and I was going to meet up for a brunch outside at one of my other friend's house. But it was canceled because of snow, because we were supposed to have snow in the forecast. And I look outside my window, and there is 0.0 inches of snow on the ground. I see a couple of flakes falling, but no snow. That sounds like Washington, D.C. to me. It, oh, yeah. It's, it's crying wolf the, in the weather the, all the, the time. Preemptive, the preemptive snow day, and then, and then no fruition. Meanwhile, up here... It, it, the sky is very gray, and we're gonna we're also maybe going to get a huge storm right now, or it's going to be very small. I don't know. So I, I'm we'll in Atlanta. Out. I'm in Atlanta. We we sort of don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. anyway, we'll 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 get to uh, to dreary basketball news that comes uh, along with with dreary weather, which is that the Blue Devils lost last night uh, in Cameron Indoor. The final score was 91 to 87 North Carolina. And I don't know about you guys, but that feels about like what this game was. It it was, it was somewhat back and forth. UNC had a small lead at the end of the first half. And then they were able to balloon that lead in the second half. Duke was able to come back and it was a little back and forth. But to me, Duke never had control of this game. Carolina was shooting uncharacteristically, not just for a UNC team that hasn't been good at shooting this season, but uncharacteristically maybe for any team. But we need to start with the headlines. So, Donald, I'll come to you first. Give me your headline from this loss for Duke. Mine is very simple. Damn it. Duke loses to UNC. Oh, I like that. Very simple. Jason? My headline is Duke puts the pieces together on offense, but what happened to the defense? And and by the way, Sam, I wanted to note really quick because you were talking about what kind of game it was, really telling stat. Duke only led for a minute and 38 seconds of this game. Carolina led for 35 plus minutes of this game. So yeah, it was a close game, but they were always just a little bit ahead. And that's why a, a four-point win, I think, feels like it, it represents what, what this whole game felt like. My headline was stomped by shooting. Duke can't overcome heels. The, as I said, I think that the, the standout thing from this game and I'm sure we'll get to it a lot in the bad section, is that, is that UNC shooting was phenomenal. Like, in a way, I think somewhat that Duke could have prevented, but in some ways just idiosyncratic, 
this kind of thing just happens to teams. So maybe there's a good takeaway that Duke was able to keep it close against a team that was having multiple guys having career nights. So let's start there. Tell me about the good news, Jason. What were your, your positive takeaways from this game? It is rare, I think, that you would lose to Carolina and say, oh, they're, they're positives coming out of this because we hate losing to them so much. But I've got a number of good notes. My, my very first one is the depth. We had nine guys play double-digit minutes. No one played more than 30 minutes. And that wasn't because we couldn't find combinations that were working. It was because guys were playing well enough that they deserved to be on the floor and deserved to continue playing. Henry Coleman played 12 minutes. He had a plus minus of plus 11. When Henry Coleman was in the game, Duke was plus 11 in just 12 minutes. Henry Coleman was a difference maker. Only four points and two rebounds, but you could feel his energy lifting the rest of the team. He was one of the few guys in the team, I think, who was really battling and playing good defense. This was not a good defensive effort for the Blue Devils. And by the way, one of the little stat about Henry Coleman that's kind of interesting, in those 12 minutes he played, he drew three fouls. That led the team. He was he was tied with a couple other guys, but drawing three fouls was the most in the team. Shows you how his energy and his activity was impacting the game. We heard in the preseason about how he was impactful and how everyone was talking about him, but then he never played once the season started, and we wondered what was going on. Well, I've, I've now seen enough. Henry Coleman needs to play more. He needs to have a role in every single game because he has the ability to bring an energy that Duke's other big men, I think, don't really have. Maybe Jalen Johnson a little bit. Um, uh, but I think, I think Henry Coleman needs to consistently be in the rotation. Mark Williams, ah, I, you know, should I save this for the bad? I feel like I'm sort of talking about the depth here. <laughs> I, I'm kind of on this theme. Mar as much as Henry Coleman was not overwhelmed by Carolina's physicality, Mark Williams was. I mentioned that Henry Coleman was plus 11 in his plus minus. Mark Williams was minus 19. Wow. <laughs> in the minutes that Mark Williams was in the game, Duke got their butts kicked, killed. And, you know, I don't want to completely blame him. It's not his fault. He is simply not strong enough. Coach K talked about this in the postgame. Mark Williams is simply not strong enough to handle the physicality that the Carolina big, big men bring to the game. He did have eight rebounds, which is great for Mark, but he needs to spend the summer in the weight room um, to play with guys like this. My other depth note is Joey Baker. I think it was about a week ago um, that I said on this podcast that Joey Baker was going to have a game very soon where he hit three or four three-pointers and was a, a major factor in the game. This was that game. He hit he hit three. I mean, he, he probably could have hit even more than that. I just hope this continues for Joey. We know he's capable of it. And one little note about Joey, he was one of the guys in the post-game news conference, and he was really down, but not in a personal way. He was upset that we'd lost. And, and guys asked him, they're like, hey, you had a great game. And he was like, I don't care. Doesn't, my personal accomplishment doesn't matter. The fact that I played big minutes does not matter. What matters is we lost the game. And it's easy, I think, for guys to say that. That's what you're supposed to say. And I'm sure Duke coaches them to say that. But you could feel that it was genuine from Joey Baker. He was upset. He didn't care that he had his best game of the season. What mattered was that we had lost. And I love that attitude from that kid. There's a lot more, but I'll let you guys take some of it now. I love that you brought up Joey Baker because – I think that the game last night was like the switch flipped for him as a, like he looks like a veteran last night in this game in a way that we haven't seen yet this year. And and we've seen countless guys come through Duke who it just, it just, they just figure it out at some point. Like the talent was there. 
we knew that they had the physical tools and then all of a sudden they just look around and are like, yeah, I can handle this. I like Joey Baker going three for seven from three. I hope that he does that. I mean, maybe even, you know, maybe he makes one or two more of those, but like, I love that for him. Right. And and the big thing is the stat you just said, he took seven three pointers. That's what we haven't seen. He hunted his shot. The team found him and he found ways of getting open and he was interested in shooting, which we haven't seen from him all year. Last night, I think was the first time that when they talked about the fact that Joey Baker was a sharpshooter, matched the fact that he was hunting his shot. So uh, the the thing that I was really excited by last night was the ball movement, but I know Donald wants to talk about that. So so Donald, walk me through the Duke offense last night and the way they were able to find a variety of guys in different places, even on a night, as I'm sure we'll get to, where Matthew Hurt, Duke's best offensive player this year, was probably his least effective of the whole season. Flashback to Monday against Miami, we only had eight assists. Last night, we had 23 assists and 36 made baskets. That is exactly what you want. And really, it boils down to this. We were hitting some open shots. We hit 54% from the floor. We hit 44% from three. Those are statistics that are way above what we've been playing in the last few weeks. And that contributed to the fact that we were moving the ball around, finding open guys, and they were knocking down shots. But it was also... The way they were doing it, it was kind of interesting because I feel like it's something we haven't seen before. We were doing a little inside outside. And when we realized that Matthew Hurt wasn't on his game, they pivoted and they were in. We had other guys step up. Like you mentioned, Joy Baker was out there. He took he, he took a lot of shots because he was searching for it. on the broadcast. They talked about the fact that he hadn't been doing that. And as every time they kept mentioning he doesn't hunt a shot, he would take a three and make it. So those sort of things are he stepped up. Henry Coleman and was able to move the ball around. Jordan Goldwire was very good at moving the ball around. Jeremy Roach was good at moving the ball around. Those guys were terrific at making sure that guys were in positions to get shots that were in their comfort zone. Wendell Moore had a couple of, uh, of, of good plays where he was able to find himself in a position and he got the ball and was able to capitalize and make something happen. That's what you want to see build throughout this. It was just frustrating that we were always, as you mentioned, Sam, at arm's length. You know, the big thing about, to me, about the passing was that it wasn't just like one or two guys facilitating. We had four players have four plus assists. Wendell Moore had four. Jordan Goldwire had four. Jeremy Roach had five. And Jalen Johnson had five. Hey, DJ Stewart, uh, you know, even had had a few assists. And he's not a guy who, who passes a lot. Um, th- this was the best ball movement by Duke that we've seen this year, I think. And, and part of it also, it wasn't just, um, you know, passing and finding the open man on the perimeter. We were going back. We had a number of back doors that we had uh, where, you know, guys make good cuts. It was, it wasn't just ball movement. It was player movement. And that's something that has been missing for Duke a lot this season. And, and then the other thing I wanted to, by, by the way, it all led to more open threes. And for the first time since the Notre Dame game, we hit better than a third of our three pointers. I mean, think about how long ago we last, we're going to play Notre Dame this week. It's been, you know, two months since we played them. And it's the first time since then we've hit better than a third of our three pointers. Uh, you know, it's so long in coming, but uh, you know, like I said, uh, to me, the, the, the biggest thing about, about all those assists was that um, we, we were moving without the ball better than we have all year. Donald mentioned that Wendell Moore made uh, a few really nice plays on offense last night. I wanted to highlight him in particular 
because we we talked about Joey Baker and Henry Coleman, a couple guys who we haven't gotten to say a lot of positive words about throughout the season. And I think Wendell Moore also deserves a lot of credit for the the effort last night. He made a bunch of shots and was also facilitating in the way that we're talking about the the assists and the ball movement. I thought Wendell Moore also played like a veteran last night in, in a way that we anticipated this year. I think we would have said coming into the season, Matthew Hurt's gonna gonna score the most. Jalen Johnson's gonna be the the flashiest, but Wendell Moore is gonna be the the most solid player on the team. And last night I thought was the best example of that that we had seen in weeks. And <laughs> Teasing a bit on our Notre Dame preview, one of the things that I'm going to talk about is Wendell Moore's performance against Notre Dame and how I think his performance against UNC is going to show a market improvement from that point in the season. Donald, I want to give you the last word on the good before we move to the bad. Yeah, I, I want to go back to Mark Williams for a second because I feel like we, we didn't give him enough credit in one area, and that is his influence in the lane with block shots. He had three block shots. The team as a total had seven. And... Uh, Jason, I think you touched on it a little bit, but I think his my, his plus minus might be disingenuous. Not you, but the, the actual stat might be disingenuous, given the fact that he was in the lineup quite a bit with a very small lineup where he was the only big man, whereas UNC was throwing two or three big guys at him. So he was able to influence a lot of shots, but he wasn't able to, you know, get there's there's other guys there like. I'll talk about Matthew Hurt in a little bit, but like there was times where Mark Williams, it seemed like was the only guy in there in the lane when he was in the game. Henry Coleman, on the other hand, I do think had a great, did a great job at influencing shots without necessarily influencing something on the stat sheet. He was able to kind of make sure that the, the defense was sound and able to get rebounds and go. So I want to switch now from the good to the, the bad and Jason, I'm going to hand it to you first. I know that you want to talk about Carolina's ungodly shooting from last or, or, or godly, perhaps uncharacteristically incredible shooting for last night. Tell me what happened that, that made Carolina make so many three pointers. I mean, how frustrating is this week, by the way, guys, we played on back to back the 14th and the 15th best three point shooting teams in the ACC. That's not good. We played the two worst three point shooting teams in the ACC and both of them hit more than half their threes. Carolina, I mean, like, Carolina was hitting 30% of their threes coming into this game. They end up hitting 67%. That's just, it's crazy. And and it, I, I went back and looked at, you know, Duke's sort of ACC games over the past, you know, month month or so since the ACC season started. If you, if you draw a line at 33%, at hitting a third of your three-pointers, Teams had hit better than 30% of their three-pointers, 33% of their three-pointers against Duke, they win the game. If they hit less than 33%, they lose the game. Carolina, 67%, they won. Miami, 53%, they won. Clemson only hit 24% of their threes. We won that game. Georgia Tech, only 33% of their threes. We won that game. Louisville, 38%. Louisville wins. Pitt, 35%. Pitt wins. Virginia Tech, 43%. Virginia Tech wins. Wake, 30% Duke wins. Draw a line right there at 33%. If you hit less than a third of your threes, Duke beats you. If you hit more than a third of your threes, Duke loses. And the frustrating thing about it is Carolina and Miami, the two games we lost this week that were so, so important, I think, for this team's chances to make the NCAA tournament. Those are two teams that are usually terrible from three. And I don't think that Duke was – we weren't awful about guarding the three-point line. I was bothered against Carolina that we let Kerwin Walton – get four three-pointers and hit all four of them. 
because frankly, who's ever guarding him, you should, you should just say, don't, don't leave that guy. He's not going to drive around you. He's not going to do anything else on offense. He is standing on the three-point line waiting for you to help so that he can get an open three-pointer. So don't help. But we left him and he buried four or four three-pointers against us. You can't let a guy who's that limited beat you in that kind of way. But the, the, the guy who really went off was Caleb Love. He hits four out of five three-pointers. This is a guy who coming into this game was hitting 22% of his threes. 22%, and he hit four out of five. Caleb Love had far and away the best game of his career. And this is a really talented player. This is a guy who will be playing in the NBA. He's probably a, a first-round draft pick, despite Roy Williams messing him up in a number of different ways this year. But I, I, he almost certainly won't have a good a game as this in his entire Carolina career. He set career highs in points, three-pointers, assists, and he just kept on making the big plays. And again and again this year, we have seen lead guards just kill us. I mean, Jose Alvarado, Carlick Jones, it just keeps on happening. And I, I, you know, I don't know what we can do to stop it because Jordan Goldwire is a really good defender and Jordan Goldwire had no chance of stopping Caleb Love last night. I, I was just absolutely floored at the fact that I, I called this the other day. We said that, you know, you talked about how the fact that they don't shoot the ball very well, either from the floor or for three. And I was like, of course, because it's Duke UNC, they'll go for, you know, 50, 40, 90. Now they went 53% from the floor, as you mentioned, 67% from three. They just didn't get 90% from the line. But, you know, I, I was just, as every shot kept going in, we, I mean, we were texting each other. I was texting my friends and we're just like, of course these shots are going in because it's Duke Carolina. Of course these, these stats get thrown out and they're going to have the best shooting day of their life in, in the game that matters the most to both teams. And by the way, when Carolina wasn't making shots and in, in the rare instances that they weren't making shots, they were getting to the free throw line. The disparity that, that I think tells a huge part of the story of this game is that UNC took 22 free throws and Duke took seven. Now UNC only made 13 of those. It was actually a pretty bad performance and makes you wonder what the effect is of the Cameron crazies on, on UNC shooting when UNC doesn't even make 60% of their three of their free throws when, when the crazies aren't in attendance, but Carolina just getting to the line. I think this goes back to, we were talking about Mark Williams and, and how he had not such a stellar game relative to his normal performance, how he got pushed around a bit. And, and Matthew Hurt, who I think we're also going to talk about here, both of those guys, I think, got overwhelmed a little bit by Carolina's size and physicality, and that led to Hurt fouling out and, and Mark Williams having to sit on the bench for stretches because he just couldn't handle it. That was, um, th that was indicative of, of everything going on last night, and it led to Carolina taking way more free throws than Duke got. And, you know, speaking of those free throws, it's, you know, there's sort of different places in the game, different phases of the game that you try to win. We got beat at the free throw line. We got beat at the three point line. We got beaten fast break points. We got beat in points off of turnovers. Like how is this game <laughs> as close as it was? Uh, you know, I think we got, a, I don't want to say lucky, but, but I, I, I sort of, I look around and I try to figure out how we were in a game where Carolina, you know, just went off in so many different aspects of their game. I mean, you know, Carolina is going to run that secondary break and yet they killed us in fast break points. We couldn't stop it. They beat us 27 to 15 in fast break points. They beat us 28 to 20 in points off of turnovers. It, it, you know what's going to happen against them. And, and part of what makes Roy Williams and, and Carolina really good is that 
you still weren't able to stop it. But uh, thankfully, we were still in the game. The other thing I wanted to touch on was rebounding. Uh, we did a great job in the first half. We only gave up four offensive rebounds in the first half. But in the second half, we gave up 10 offensive rebounds to Carolina. And they ended up out-rebounding us in this game by eight. It didn't kill us, but it was one of the many things that contributed to us losing this game was not being able to battle them a little bit better on the offensive boards. And when you combine that with them shooting really well from three and you combine that with them getting a lot of points off a turnover and you combine that with them running that secondary break and getting all those fast break points, that's a formula to lose. Um, and, and I think it's a testament that we only lost by four when all those things went the way Carolina needs them to go. Donald, what else you got in the bad section here? So I did want to talk about the fast break points because I thought it was indicative of something that we have been talking about all season and showed us rear ugly head last night. Again, we out, we were outscored on fast break points, 27 to 15, but it ties into the, the stat that I think that we've been saying at now, Jim, is that there were still times where there was no energy. There were still times where there was no urgency, especially at the beginning of both halves. They, they started out in like an 11 to two lead, to start the game. And in the second half, they went on a 10 to two run. And that was, you know, as Jason said, we had to try and catch up from that all the time uh, throughout the second half. We just couldn't do it, but those energy points weren't there. Like th you have to do this. This is UNC. This is the game. We talked about if there's one thing that energy shows its face and needs to be the central theme of the, of the game is the game against UNC. And we didn't have it at stretches. And that, that proved to be the difference uh, because if we cut that in half, if we, you know, some of those, you know, fast break points, they didn't actually score as, as Sam alluded to, they went to the line where they made their shots there. So if you cut those in half, the game is over. Duke is winning. And we're talking today about, or we probably would have done it last night about how happy we were that Duke won and, and had battled, but there was times where they didn't battle. They didn't have that energy. You could tell coach K was perplexed at the beginning of the second half because he was like, not again, we're, we're doing this exact thing that we keep saying we're going to get ourselves out of. It takes 21 days to make a habit. We just haven't made a habit of getting through that yet. So Donald, you, you mentioned about Coach K looking for things. I, I want to mention a couple really quick things that he said in the postgame news conference that I thought were really, really interesting. You know, the one that stuck out to me was, first of all, he said that we played well enough to win and we were deserving of victory. He wasn't saying that in a bitter kind of way, but he was saying that to, uh, to pump up his guys and to recognize the fact that they are playing better. I mean, there's no question that this was a far better effort than we had against Miami and a far better effort than in some of the games that we've lost this year. So in that regard, it's, it's a good thing. But one of the things I really wanted to point out was that, you know, this was a different starting lineup. Both Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach were starters in this game. And Jalen Johnson was, you know, on the bench. Uh, and Jeremy Goldwire was on the bench and, you know, and coach K pointed out that people earn their starting role and they have to keep on earning it. And he said that, you know, Mark's been playing really well. Um, uh, you know, it was tough for Mark, but you know, there, there will be chances for Mark to continue to earn that starting role. And he said, he keeps on looking for different things for this team. And the implication was the starting line is going to keep on changing the rotations, even though he didn't say rotations, the rotations will keep on adjusting that he keeps on looking for what is going to work for this team. And I thought it was really interesting that he noted that in a game where he had shaken up the starting lineup yet again, I feel like we've seen, you know, Duke's played 14 games now, whatever it is. I feel like we've seen like 12 different starting lineups. Yeah. It's rare. We do the, the, 
we have the same lineup two times in a row. Like even if it's just one player, it's usually it's very rare this season that I mean, if you think about it in previous seasons, you're like if someone wasn't in the starting lineup, you're like, whoa, like we would have an emergency podcast during the game. Like, yo, Trey Jones didn't start today. Like, what's going on? It, it's this year is just you know it's almost like a shock if you see three of the same people from the, from the game before. Like I, I don't even know what the normal starting lineup is right now for Duke, right. and it, it feels like it varies week to week. And in a year where Duke was winning more games, I think that would that would feel more okay. It just adds to sort of the uneasy feeling of this season. Matthew Hurt is the only player to start every game for Duke this season. He started all 14. DJ Stewart has started 12. No one else, uh, sorry, Jordan Goldwire started 10. But I mean, you know, that that gives you what you need to know. There's just, there's nobody who is consistently always a starter for this team other than Matthew Hurt. And speaking of Matthew Hurt, I, I wanted to wrap our section on the bad talking about him. I, I don't think we normally will single out guys for, for bad performances because I just don't think it's, you know, particularly nice of us. But look, Matthew Hurt has been the best player on this team this season. We've talked about how he's performed at an all-ACC level. He's, he's one of the top scorers in the ACC, probably the most advanced offensive player that we've seen play for any team that, that Duke has been in this season. And last night was just, I think, was just a, a total blip for him. Just seven points on on six shots in 21 minutes. He fouled out with a few minutes left in the game. And when it happened, I was like, wait, did they just say that he fouled out? Like Matthew Hurt's not a not a guy that racks up a lot of fouls, but two, two fouls in the first half and then picked up three more in the second half. Duke really missed Matthew Hurt in this game as a as an effective contributor. I don't think that, that this is a, a sign of anything. I don't think that teams are going to watch the tape from this game and say, aha, Matthew Hurt can be exploited or or, or can be limited in some way. I think it was just a, a blip for him, and hopefully he returns to form this week. When he scored in the second half, it was the first points he had ever scored against UNC. He had gone over last year, all of last year, and he went over in the first half. That was a stat that when, when I when I saw it at halftime, I had to show it to you guys because I was like, that is asinine that the best player on the team had not scored in the biggest rivalry. That really killed us because I think this team was relying on him to, you know, be as consistent as he's been all year. It sucks that it was just, you know, this was the game that he had his worst game of the season. And and, and the thing that struck me about Matthew Hurt's game last night was that and I think it may be because of Carolina's physicality in the post. Um, uh, he very, very rarely went into the post, tried to get the ball down. Duke didn't find him down there. You know, he, he, he's a great three-point shooter. We, we know that. The, the guy can drain threes. But the transformation in his game this year has been his ability to get, you know, those fadeaways, the step backs and the such, um, and working in the post. He, he, he really he didn't even try to do that very much against against UNC. I don't know if that was him being in a funk, him being in some foul trouble, or Carolina just being so strong and physical that he didn't feel like he could get what he needed to in the post. So we will leave the Carolina game there. Duke obviously gets another shot at them in a few weeks. So hopefully some of these things improve. Hopefully we see Matthew Hurt finally turn it around against UNC and, and have a great night. So we're all looking forward to that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will preview Duke's second game against Notre Dame, which is coming up uh, this week, and then we will hand out a very unfortunate Player of the Week award in a week when Duke didn't win any games, so stick around.
Welcome back. We're going to talk now about Notre Dame. Duke, of course, played Notre Dame back in December. It was Duke's first ACC game of the season, and things have things have not gone well for Duke since then, but things have arguably gone worse for Notre Dame. They reeled off a five-game losing streak uh, to begin ACC conference play. They've improved a little bit, two and four, since that five-game losing streak. But Mike Bray's team is seven and ten. They're four and seven in conference play. They do not look poised to make the NCAA tournament. But Duke has, has lost some games recently against teams not poised to make the NCAA tournament. So, Donald, tell us about Notre Dame's recent stretch of games. I, I kind of gave the the preview of that. But what has has gone wrong initially for Mike Bray's team, and then what has gone right in recent weeks where their their outcomes have improved? Well, their outcomes have improved. They've, they've played some teams that are towards the bottom of the conference. I know they're towards the bottom of the conference, but you still got to play the teams in front of you. They have beaten, Boston, in the last couple of weeks, Boston College, Miami, and then they also had a week where they beat Pitt and Wake Forest. In the middle, the teams that you would say are the, mo- are the top half of the conference, you know, Pitt notwithstanding, because they're also in the top half of the conference right now, uh, but Virginia Tech, they've lost them twice. UNC, they've lost to. Virginia, they've lost to twice. That is obviously crushing for them, but the back half of their schedule leads is a little lesser uh, than normal. They do end with Florida State, but they are in a they are a team that's just like us has been very inconsistent. I will point to the game that we had against them back in December. There's a couple of things that I want to highlight that I think hopefully will come about this again this time. Jason mentioned that we shot over fifty percent from the floor and from three pointer. Uh, that was the first the, between game between the UNC game and that game. We hadn't done that. So obviously that's a great thing that we were able to shoot well last night. Hopefully that translates to Tuesday. We stay in Cameron to play the Irish. We also only had eight turnovers last night. We had a bit, we had 15 turnovers. We've had quite a few turnovers lately. And that is something that needs to really come back down. They're not a team that forces you to turn the ball over a lot. So we should, take advantage of that and make sure that we keep hold of the ball. We can't score if we don't have the ball. We also had eight steals and we out rebounded Notre Dame. So on defense, we were very, we had a lot of pressure and we were able to force them into making bad decisions with the basketball while on offense, we were keeping the basketball and we were able to get the shots that we needed to, if we had the ball moment that we had last night, if we're able to hold on to the basketball, this should be a good game for us. But again, all these things have to come in place and, as we've seen throughout the season, something will go wrong. We have to battle through that and hope that the other things are, are where they're supposed to be. Jason, we just came out of a game against Carolina where the three-pointers were flying all over the place. I anticipate you're going to tell me that they are going to be doing so again against Notre Dame. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Looking at the advanced stat, Notre Dame is one of the most enjoyable advanced stat teams there is out there. And I'm going to explain why. So on Ken Pomeroy's page for each team, um, he has all these different stats, all these different things you can look at. And if it's something a team does really well, it, it, it goes from sort of a, you know, a neutral color to a light green to then a really bright green. And if it's something they do poorly, it goes from sort of a neutral color to a light red to a really dark red. Usually teams are in the neutral kind of area. You know, they have a couple things. They'll be a little bit green or a little bit red and you highlight those things. The Notre Dame page is nothing but bright green and bright red. Like this team is a study in dichotomies. So you mentioned the three-point shooting. They are the 16th best three-point shooting team in the country. They are also the 264th worst three-point defensive team in the country. 
Like they're great at hitting threes. They're terrible at preventing threes. It gets even better. There's a stat Ken has called non-steal turnovers. This is, this is sort of unforced errors. This is just like, did you make a mistake on your own and, and give away the ball? Notre Dame is the fifth best team in the country. Bright green. They are great at not making unforced errors. Their non-steal turnover number, fifth best in the country. That is the team that is very careful. They just don't give away the ball. But on defense, they are 346th at non-steal turnovers. So they are so careful on offense and defense that they don't give the ball away and they don't force teams to give the ball away. It's kind of crazy. And there are all kinds of other places where this shows up. On defense, I mentioned that they're careful. They're so careful on defense, they're the best team in the country. They rank number one at not giving up free throw attempts. Like if you take the ball inside, they're like, okay, score. We don't want to bother you. This team does not challenge you at all. And as a result, they don't give up free throws, which is sort of an interesting kind of strategy. And like I said, that like they're just, there are all these different extremes and it's just, there's so much to talk about. Like they're a terrible offensive rebounding team, just awful. 332nd in the country at offensive rebounds, but they're a good um, offensive team because they, they take good shots and they make the shots that they take. They're good at hitting their twos. They're really good at hitting their threes. As I mentioned, they hit their free throws 76% from the free throw line. Really impressive. So, uh, you know, the best way to describe this Notre Dame team is careful. They don't want to make mistakes and they so much don't want to make mistakes that it, it, you know, it sort of affects whether they do anything challenging, which I think is why they aren't, you know, that great a team. And, and, but the, the last things I want to mention really quickly, uh, they are the 13th tallest team in the country. Their, their height, they are very tall. So Duke, Duke is again, facing a team that has plenty of height and they are very experienced. As we said, when we pl- played them last time, they're mostly playing juniors and seniors throughout the entire game. And they don't use their bench very much. Uh, one of the, one of the least used benches in all of college basketball is the Notre Dame bench. So the guys who are out there at the start, who are going to be careful, not get in foul trouble, not commit fouls, not throw the ball away, but not force you to throw the ball away. That those are the guys who are going to be in there pretty much the whole time for them. Last thing, just really quick that they are one of the better offensive teams in the country. One of the top 20 offensive teams in the country. They're not very good on defense, 138th on defense. You know, I would expect this game against Notre Dame to be reasonably high scoring, and I would hope that Duke can continue to shoot well like we did against North Carolina. Looking back at that first game against Notre Dame, I think you can see a few stark differences for Duke that I want to highlight on the on the player side. So the the best player in that game for Notre Dame was Dane Goodwin, who is not Notre Dame's best player or most important player usually. I'd say Prentice Hub is the is kind of the the, the key. To, to Notre Dame's success, but Dane Goodwin went 10 for 12 from the field in that game against Duke the, the first time around and was just all over the place. In contrast, Wendell Moore, who I think you would say normally would be the guy matched up on, on Dane Goodwin, you know, if, if these teams are both playing at their best, Wendell Moore um, was, that, that was like the period in the season when he was at his lowest point didn't even register 10 minutes in that game. He only played nine minutes and, and was just mostly ineffective for Duke. I expect given how much better Moore has played over the last week that we are going to see a better performance from him. He's going to be able to guard Goodwin a little bit closer and the, the Duke zone that has been, you know, a little shaky so far, but, but maybe, maybe we'll turn the corner this week. I think that will, will help limit 
Goodwin and Hub for Notre Dame. And Jason, you mentioned Notre Dame's size. Another guy for Duke who who didn't play his best game against Notre Dame, but has played relatively better recently is Mark Williams. We've seen him in the starting lineup. We think that that he's becoming a, a real strong ACC contributor. And I want to see, I'm looking forward to this game. I want to see him and I want to see Matthew Hurt have much better games than they did against Carolina. They're going to need it to counter Notre Dame's size where they, they've got you know multiple guys over 6'10 who are in that starting lineup. And, and Duke's going to need all, the, all that effective size to be able to counter them. So th- those are kind of the keys to the game for me. Sam, one last thing about personnel. We should remember that the first time we played Notre Dame, we did not have Jalen Johnson. It was the first game that he had missed. Um, and Duke was, you know, obviously adjusting to what kind of a player, what kind of a team we would be without him. He's obviously very much back now and, um, and is a real force on offense that Notre Dame hasn't dealt with in the past. Don't want to talk too much about Jalen's defense. <laughs> but on offense, he, he's a difference maker for Duke. So we look forward to that game. It says right now, I was asking you guys about this last night. It says right now, according to all the, to go Duke and ESPN and everyone that this game is scheduled for four o'clock on Tuesday. I did not get an explanation and nor do I think either of you have an explanation for why a game is being played at four o'clock on a weekday, but whenever it is, uh, we will watch it and then we'll react to it. So and did we'll, it change we'll back. It did change because like my I calendar it again I, this I, morning I, and it still said four o'clock. No, no. I mean, like from earlier, because like I always put my I know you guys do the same thing, right? Like I put my Duke games in my personal calendar so that they're always there. And when I create my schedules for the week, I can always know when I need to stop working or stop doing stuff because Duke is on. And I had that game for nine o'clock. So I was like, great, a late game. Like, you know, I'll get all my stuff done. I get dinner. And then you were like games at four. And I was like, four, four win. For for GMT, like what, what what is this game happening? So I normally I I think I have the the goduke.com calendar like added to my Gmail account. And me too, it, yeah. It only adds I, I at least the way that I did it, it just adds the days and then I have to sort of make the mental note of if at least the, the version that I got. And oh, I've got one it, that does the times. So oh, like when I was looking at my Tuesday, there? I was like, I was like, oh, we're playing in the middle of the day. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I got this specific calendar on on my calendar, but it it only has the the dates. Like it has an all day event, and so I just mentally make a note like, oh, it's a seven o'clock game, it's a nine o'clock game. On a weekend, it might be like a noon game or a two o'clock game, but it doesn't normally matter. And then they they put that graphic up on the broadcast last night, and I was like, oh. Uh, that's not good. So I, I then went and manually added it to my work calendar because four o'clock is when I am still doing my day job. So uh, that that was a little weird. Maybe it'll so, yeah, change. But cancel cancel but all now. meetings. Cancel all meetings. Yeah, exactly. Like Fourish and sixish. Uh, if any of my if any of my coworkers listen to the show, which I don't think they do, but if you do, please don't schedule meetings for me for five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon because I'm going to be watching a basketball game. Guys, we need to wrap up this episode because it has gone on too long for us to be talking about a loss, uh, two losses in a row, in fact, where we are going to need to pick a player of the week. So Duke has has lost to Miami. They've lost to UNC, but we have to soldier on and pick a player of the week for this really unfortunate week of games. Donald, I'll come to you first. Tell me a player of the week and, and therefore give me something hopeful to think about as we head into this next week. You know, I'm going to go with DJ Stewart. Uh, it's not necessarily because he was in double figures for both games. He, he did that. I thought he, he was uh, pretty good throughout the week on the offensive end. But he 
was the most consistent at providing energy on both ends of the floor. He was, in my opinion, he might've been the only guy that provided it against Miami. There was quite a few that did it against UNC, but he's the one that I feel that was most consistent at both ends of the floor at providing energy and trying to get a spark, even in the absence of, you know, missing a shot or, or, or turning the ball over, he was still active in the game and still trying to make something happen. So I'm going to go with DJ Stewart. I dissent. My player of the week is Wendell Moore. Dude averaged more than 16 points per game. Uh, he had 11 rebounds uh, and his field goal shooting. 13 of 18 on field goal shooting this, this week, including two of four three-pointers uh, and always consistently plays good defense. I know that he had sort of the, the, very, the unfortunate drive at the very end of the game um, where, where he did travel. Uh, you can argue about whether he got fouled. I'm not, I don't think it was a foul. You know, that was Duke's sort of last chance. But I thought Wendell Moore had a, had a really nice week. Uh, he was one of the only guys, perhaps the only guy, who performed well against Miami, at least offensively. So I took Wendell Moore, and I, I kind of expected us to be three for three on Wendell Moore this week, but I guess I was wrong. Well, you're two for three, because I also had Wendell Moore. I thought that he, you went through all the stats. I thought that he looked like the veteran that we expected at the beginning of the season, as much as he had at all this year in this past week. So I, I hope that this is a, a corner turning for Wendell Moore. I don't know if he is planning to stick around next year or if he's going to try his luck in the NBA, but I very much hope that he comes back because I think that the version of Wendell Moore that we got this week is going to turn into a player that Duke fans remember, not just because of one highlight against UNC last year, which was amazing, but because he's going to become a, a, a really strong, solid contributor and leader for this team. And, and he was initiating the offense a, a pretty good bit this week. He, he had seven assists on the week, which is a good number for a guy who's not, you know, ostensibly a guard for you. Yeah. I mean, you said it, leadership. We need it. He's the guy that probably has come closest to kind of exuding that at, at various times throughout the year. Having him back next year would be great uh, to especially develop that leadership part because that's clearly something that is needed on this team. We haven't had it this year. And if he can develop it, next year will be a great, great promising team. And you guys are talking like there's some doubt about him coming back. Obviously there's, I guess, some doubt, but I think it's really, really small. No one has him in any of their mock drafts and he hasn't, he hasn't had the kind of season thus far that would seem to, to make the NBA an imminent part of his future. So we look forward to Wendell Moore continuing his, his upward trajectory from this week. We will be back sometime after the Notre Dame game to break that down and, and kind of look ahead but for now, that's going to do it for an unfortunate episode 279 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Jason Evans and Donald Wine. I'm Sam Klein, Duke Band. Take us home.